Welcome to Season 2 of Connect to Capital, a podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm Samar Michaela, co-CEO at Scale Investors, and I will be your host. Our vision at Scale Investors is a world where gender does not limit access to capital, and we're on a mission to maximise returns by investing into Australia's best women-led startups. We know the transformational power of collaboration, and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education, and deep network to enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors. We believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We are thrilled to play our part in providing entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. And if you're keen to invest and maximise your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realise the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au to learn more. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a minute. Tracy Warren has busted into the startup scene like a lotus flower, currently flourishing at a significant speed. If you didn't know, Tracy is the CEO at F5 Collective, the newest women-focused fund to enter the Aussie market. Her energy is infectious and I vibed her passion and conviction on backing women founders. F5 Collective invests in women building high-growth tech ventures at the early stage, from seed through to Series A. They're on a mission to catalyze change for 1 billion women across the Asia-Pacific region. Trace talks to me about her recent trip to India for Startup 20 in Delhi, completing an executive private equity and venture capital course dominated by men at Harvard Business School, and the work she is doing across the ecosystem, including the Female Founder Circle, a partnership with the Startup Network, as well as her lived experience as a founder. The alignment with scale investors is electric, as is the conversation. We always say picking apart early stage businesses is easy. Building conviction, however, is what sets apart the best in the biz. Tracy's institutional grade business development background really shines through in her articulate high conviction in women founders, and I loved every single moment. Hey, Tracy, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about this chat. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and go back to the start. Like, how did you, did you always want to come into venture? Was it something that you kind of saw yourself doing as a little wee girl or like, yeah, you know, tell us about yourself. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And no, I didn't always want to be in venture. I didn't even know what venture was. And all I will say is it's funny in life when you give from a selfless place and you do things selflessly where life can take you sometimes. My background, my parents were small business owners from the Western suburbs of Sydney. And I was working in their pasticceria cafe from primary school age. So probably like five or six, I was sweeping floors and mopping and and everything like before and after school. Like my mum is Italian, like a good wog family. We were uh, us kids always in their business. But I think all that that instilled in me was, and perhaps this is a migrant mentality, this, this work ethic that seems to come with that. And I can outwork anyone most times, really, to my detriment, I will say. But I think that's what I've learned from my parents was just this work ethic. But also to stand on your own two feet. I think that's another thing that came out of that. How I ended up in VC, I had a startup that failed spectacularly through lockdowns. And I think everyone's got a lockdown story here in Australia, but that put an end to that. And then all of a sudden, I had nothing to do. 
And I became a bit of a go-to for some of the women's groups that were around. And I just started working with a bunch of women founders. And before I knew it, I got this opportunity because I'd been working with these women to speak to someone that was setting up a fund specifically targeting women. So it's funny where life can take you when you, one, feel passionate about a cause and two, just give selflessly sometimes. Yeah, I love that. Tell us about these startups. So everyone would not want to hear about it. And I think this is one of the questions that I sent through, like, tell us about a failure. Because I think we, especially as Australians, don't talk about learnings enough and celebrate them. And and like you rightly point out, leads you to your next opportunity. Yeah. And it's something I look for in our founders when we're looking for founders as well. Tell me the stories because the failures are sometimes your biggest learnings. That is where we actually learn as humans. I came from a background of financial markets and I got to a point where I was working on large market deals, oil and gas, timber, and I felt my soul had died. I literally could not press the lift button. And so I left and decided to do something that was so wildly creative and so far removed from what my large market M&A life or corporate finance life had been which was helping digital brands do collaborative pop-ups. And I loved it. It was fun. It was creative. I was working with so many female founders and I just loved it. I never intended it to be called a startup. It was just, let's do something fun. And now looking back, there was so much risk in that business, right? It was such a bricks and mortar play that there was always going to be risk. It probably couldn't scale. There's all these things that when I go back and analyze, it ticked all the soul boxes around. I had fun, allowed me to do things that I didn't do before and be pink and proud and all these things. But as a business, it probably wouldn't have survived COVID or grown into anything from this. So Maybe lockdowns came as a blessing. It then allowed me to work with women. And actually, I've come from a world where I was the only female in a broken for my entire life. I always worked with men. I was always in a situation where I had to put on a sword and shield to go to work every single day. And I worked with men that the love of the deal was what got them to work. They just loved being deal makers and, and wearing that hat. This allowed me to step into, I don't want to say more feminine, but it allowed me to connect with people, connect with women and find a different way to go to work. And so if I can take anything out of this, it was, I actually enjoyed the connection part and I enjoyed working with these women more than my entire career had allowed me to. So I think that's some learnings, but then it got me to a place where I was then mentoring some women because I had the finance background and I realized that they were taking shitty terms from investors and coming to advice and then that's how I transitioned into this role and running this fund. So this year alone Tracy you have almost deployed the five million dollars from F5 Collective I think you've got a few thousand dollars left. You've been to Startup Delhi, Startup 20 in Delhi two weeks ago you're invited to go there. You also participated at the Harvard Business School Executive Private Equity and to Capital session which I really want to hear more about and I have but I think our listeners would love to hear about it. And you've started the Female Founder Circle with the Startup Network and Vicky Sterling. And, and I think when you talk about that feminine energy, that is something we all collectively completely agree with. And I think it becomes very gendered, but it's less about being gendered and more about an, an energy that I think is really going to take if Australia <laughs> and if we all really collaborate the way we, I think, starting to will really elevate us as a nation to take advantage of the innovation that is literally on our doorstep. 
And I'd love to hear like those three things that you've been, you participated in only in like literally 2023. You started in your role 11 months ago. It's quite incredible. So yeah, talk us through all those things and how they've kind of really kind of exploded for you in in the last yeah 11 months or so. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. But for us, the belief in F5 action equals impact. And so how we connected as partners was around, a, I guess, a, a common why, and it was around women. The other thing that I always say is women supporting women. And something that came out of this G20 experience was how many incredible women are ready and willing to support other women. And the moment I walked in saying, I run a fund that invests in women, everyone in the room knew who I was. They were all coming up to me. I actually didn't need to do any networking myself because I became known as the woman that's investing in women. I even had so many men come up and say, we love your mandate. We would love to help and be involved in any way possible. And these are the ex-CEO of Microsoft out of Europe, for example, someone that runs one of the largest impact funds out of Singapore. So these are men and you guys refer to them so nicely as allies that love what we're doing. But if I come back to that action equals impact, we have such a short amount of time as businesses, right? And, And scale is the same where you need to come out, put your mark on the world, take advantage of the PR that surrounds these events. I was invited to also speak at Harvard as well. So it's just capitalizing on these opportunities as they pop up. And it's something that I've learned along the way. And founders can take advantage of this too, which is if there's an opportunity to you've been invited somewhere or you're speaking or you're doing something, you have to capitalize on it, capitalize on the momentum because you feel good. I'm someone that can procrastinate really badly if I'm not busy. But the moment I'm busy, everything just seems to roll and I work better and I feel better. And so for me, I just, I have to be action oriented and capitalize on these events as they're coming up because I don't know what's coming up next year. I don't know if I have these opportunities. So we're just going to maximize when they turn up. And The other part of that for founders is don't be scared when the opportunity comes up. Have the strength to say yes, because I actually almost didn't go to India. I was thinking about saying no, and you know why? Because I'm really busy. I'm really busy. I don't know. It's only for a couple of days. It was a whirlwind. But how silly of me if I didn't go. Can you imagine? Like how silly that those thoughts even entered my mind. So I think be brave and just bold around, hey, this opportunity's turned up. Take advantage of it. Oh, I think that would resonate with so many of our listeners and just and like pretty much anyone, right? Irrespective of gender. I think it's really easy to see something like that. And like, oh yeah, when I saw it, I was like, oh gosh, that would be so scary. Like a hundred percent it would be, but you've got to like kind of lean into that. I mean, we, we say that at scale all the time, like Charles Straw and I always like, especially since taking over earlier this year, we're like, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> But I think that is exactly why we're doing it because like you say, there is, I think you were mentioning before we kind of started recording about how all these incredible allies are getting on board and and we really think that is a key element. So women supporting women absolutely is fundamental, right, to any of this. It's almost like you're not going to support a a country or or a group of people if they can't even support each other, right? So, So you have to start there. And then with the allies piece, I mean, they're the ones that have power, right? So I think that's really why we see allies as such an important component of of really kind of breaking the mold. But talk us through some statistics that you learned, particularly the opportunity that is on our doorstep in Southeast Asia. So I can give you one huge number that is being thrown around 
they are pledging, these are G20 nations, $1 trillion per year into the startup ecosystem. That is staggering. It's huge. And I don't know where Australia stands in that, but the rest of the world has realized the opportunity for startups and what they bring to the world. There are problems worth solving, big problems worth solving. And I think startups are the key to solving them. Australia just kind of needs to wake up and see that opportunity. India can see it. They are spending so much money. There is so much money pouring into India. Why are we not capitalizing on that as well? The other thing is that they have realized the opportunity of activating their women and bringing women into participating and adding these huge numbers to their GDP. And in a world where I had, I watched a fintech present on stage. This is the opportunity that sits in an emerging market like India, where all of a sudden they had $1.6 trillion processed in one month alone. It's just staggering. It really is. And half the country is still unbanked. It is just staggering. So I think we're going to be left behind if we don't come together, work together. And you and I both know this. We can't do it alone. It takes an ecosystem and then some. It takes buy-in from, and they even had industry presenting as well at this G20. So the rest of the world has realized it's not just us and the startup ecosystem. We actually need buy-in from the corporates. We now need to change the mentality around we are willing to work with a startup. We are willing to de-risk and change our perception of risk and actually take on some pilots and work with these founders because they bring such enormous value. A big corporate just can't do the things that a nimble startup can do. But that's the piece I think that seems to be lacking in Australia is the buy-in from the industry and the corporates to actually allow these startups to do great pilots. I couldn't agree more. I think you've sort of touched on it so far about, you know, some of the really exciting and pleasurable parts of your work that you're currently doing in this whirlwind of the last 11 months in your CEO role and investing in women. And and equally, I think almost at the same time, it's also challenging, like as you described, with the opportunity to be part of this G20 startup group recently in Delhi. How would you just deal with the most pleasurable parts of your role and and the most challenging parts? It comes down to one word, actually, for both positive and negative, and that is people, is what I'll say. So the part of my role is connecting with people, connecting with women and founders that are so much more talented, tenacious and incredible than I could ever be. But then the other side of that is dealing with people, right? And I didn't realize how much of what we do is stakeholder management, both internally and externally. And it's something I struggled with really early on in my role was I've got board members, I've got investor committee members, I've got team members, and we all have really big personalities. There's something about our sector that attracts a certain personality type, right? That I just failed to realize that it is all stakeholder management. And I had to learn really, really quickly how to deal with that, how to take all of that on board and say, thank you, but I'm doing this anyway, right? Thank you so much for that. But this is the vision that we have and I have, and this is what I'm going to do. But then from a founder perspective and how I show up externally to the world as well, what do I want people to see? How do I want them to feel? What experience do I want them to have? I had to craft that and I wanted to be really intentional with that piece because I know that the women that we see, they are beat down. Most of them have had a hundred no's, if not more. They've come to us at a point where they can be really vulnerable and they can be 
I guess at a point where they're just quite beat down. So if I can give them an experience that no other fund, VC or so forth can give them, then that's what I'm hopeful for. And I think I'm succeeding because the best referrals that I get are from founders, whether I've said yes to investment or not, they're still referring people. So that's such a good metric for me that maybe I am doing something right. We often recommend for founders, and I know we share this as well, is that they look for values aligned investors. And, you know, you've sort of touched on, I guess, what would be kind of described in the Rolodex of investors for you and, and what you can provide for them. Could you share your values with us? They're really, really simple. And I don't think it needs to be complex. For me, it's authentic, human, transparent, and no assholes. Like that is it. And there's a lot of colorful personalities in our world. We don't need more of that. We need authenticity and transparency. I always used to say to the women that I was working with, believe the no, don't believe the why. And I think that needs to change. I think women need to know exactly why you're getting a no so that you can go and change that. If it is a couple of tweaks within your startup or your venture that can then allow you to have another conversation that will be a yes, that is my intention here. It is to give you the exact reason why you're getting a no and hopefully add some value. And it's something I'm actually working on building out in more detail, which is providing something of value to these founders to say, we've got this matrix. This is how we measured you. These are the two or three areas that we feel you need to just go away and work on. And that could allow them to come back in 12 months and actually have the yes. So the other thing is look at what people do, not what they say in this world. There is a lot of talk going on. There is a lot of talk around supporting women and trying to clean up their act and all these things, but look at what they do. Look at where they're spending their money and where they are actually funding and just Make sure that's aligned is what I would say. Could you share a bit of like maybe a few things about that matrix and how you assess deals? I've got two parts. So one part is the founder part. And this is where we talk about failure as actually a strength because the founder rubric, we've probably got about 20 measurements that we're measuring in there. And a big part of that is if they've got failures, I don't care. What did you learn from it? And I think as humans, we learn better from failure than what we do from success. So I will see a founder that said, you know, I, this didn't work, that didn't work, but these were the reasons why. Whereas if you've got someone that's had success their entire career or, or their entire startup, they actually haven't gone back to analyze. They haven't spent the time typically, and they can't tell you. Sometimes they've done things really well, but they can't tell you why it worked or how it worked. So that's a big difference. The other part is basic business metrics. So the other score that you get is 15 metrics that we kind of figure out from a business perspective. And it really is business fundamentals. That is all it is. We are not looking at growth at all costs. We are looking for basic business fundamentals. Are you a profitable business? Where is our money going to go? And typically as investors, we don't like our money going into I guess I should say building that that early stage. We're a seed stage investor. We like it to be the growth piece. So you've got your basics. It is functioning. You are making money. You are profitable. Those fundamentals work. Now our money coming in allows you to have that growth because your fundamentals are all strong enough. Yeah. So you're looking at later seed stage then I would say if, if that's what you want to sort of be in place before you. And that's obviously where you can add value is in that growth phase, the scale up phase. Yeah. So we are a late seed and we are mandate driven until we sometimes meet a founder and go, you know what, that all goes out the window and there is something really special here. And so there is flexibility. And I think every investor is like that. We have mandates, we need guardrails, but there is flexibility in 
who comes in front of us, where we invest sometimes as well. Yeah, I think we've spoken about this in the past as well, but we cannot underscore the business metrics piece more. And I think it's, if you were to, I don't really see only men businesses, obviously. <laughs> but I, I think leading with numbers is a really key part that it can help you tell stories. It can, it's a fundamental way of doing business. And I also think it is an advantage that women who do that and imploring, like, you know, underscoring the founders to lead with those numbers and understand their metrics, which can obviously change over time. It could not be more important. And I think it's one that a lot of, in my experience, women sort of shy away from and always like, oh, I've got to check with my CFO, or I've got to check with my accountant. And I just think that is one that has to, it's got to be you that understands your numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you the founder, we literally just said yes to, and her CFO happened to be on holidays. He was in Europe whilst we were going through our DD process. If she wasn't all across those numbers, that would have been a no and it would have been a missed opportunity. So we were talking earlier about these opportunities that pop up. You've got to be able to take advantage. If you are not across all the numbers in your business, your business as a whole, when these opportunities pop up, you're not going to be able to handle them, lean into them. However, people are talking about that at the moment. You can't because you just don't have the right numbers to back you up. The other thing is that you can't skip steps. If we look at these business fundamentals, you can't skip steps there and you really need to go through the process as a business and as a founder in understanding how you're growing, what you're doing, what your metrics are in order to capitalize on that as well. And I think there's a few founders that come across my desk and I don't know what you're like, but they've tried to skip a couple of steps and it's really, really obvious because then they don't have the knowledge when we're questioning, oh, I need to get back to you. I need to speak to my CFO or whatever, but that ends up typically not looking great on our side. Yeah, I think we look, we have this experience a lot. And I think sometimes that's the risk you take when you see, especially in those circumstances when you're like, we have this kind of clear sort of assessment tools that we use, but then something comes along and really sweeps you off your feet and you're like, this is amazing. And and a lot of those things haven't done, but you're like, you know what, this person's done this sort of stuff before. And so they understand the steps they need to take. And then, yeah, I guess sometimes it doesn't happen. and. It's certainly, I think people can get always back on track with those types of things and go, well, hang on, you've missed this step, but totally agree. And we're always open to giving people the benefit down and coming back to us for sure. But it's how they come back and when they come back that, you know, signals whether or not, like you said, they're kind of what, you know, they're a red flag or not. I know this is sort of like picking your favorite child or pet, but um, could you talk to us about a couple of your favorites that you've made? We love all our children equally. (laughs) (laughs) But the ones that I have been wowed by are typically not the most technical, not the most academic, and it's not what you would think. It's these women that have some sort of lived problem, lived experience, and so that they've got a unique advantage, right? They've got exposure in a certain industry or whatever that they know the insides and they can solve a problem. But they're actually business savvy people. And you know what this is like, it allows them to understand that I don't need to be the professor that's writing the academic paper. I just need to be the in-between that connects the professor, the doctor, the whatever that is on that side to that end client. Because typically those two can't connect well enough. 
And you'll see this in creatives, right? You've got the creatives on this side that are brilliant at what they do, but they can't run their business typically. And they find that piece really difficult. They can't do sales. They don't have the foundations, right? And if you have someone that can come in in that in-between and connect the two, they typically are really business savvy. Those business fundamentals just seem to be there. They're not skipping steps. And they just make really good businesses. And when we say that we're chasing zebras and not unicorns, that is what we're looking for. It is the ones that go in and tackle those sectors that could be seemingly boring, but essential and wrap this new way or this new approach around it. And they're just really business savvy. So don't feel like you have to be the academic, it doesn't matter your background. You can see that opportunity, be really business savvy and solve that problem. And they're usually the ones in our portfolio that are, I would say, getting ahead a little bit more than the others. We have some in the portfolio that have come from incredible backgrounds, as in Goldman Sachs of the world, the large consulting firms and so forth. Sometimes they struggle more than what this other category does and they don't have that kind of background. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the hustle that comes with having to do things in a different way, but there's something really special about that tier that can tackle things with just a business savvy mindset. Could you share a couple of names or? I can't share names, but I will say one of the, I can give you one that we missed out on and we were devastated. And I thought they were brilliant. They were in ad tech and it was the first no that I received from the fund, which for me, I was like, oh my God, this is like a stab in the heart. (laughs) You're on the reverse end. It's the worst. I agree. I know what that feels like. (laughs) And it was because we're such a small fund. We can't lead rounds. And then there ended up being one investor from New York, I believe, or LA. They came in and took out the whole round. And so our 250K just didn't make sense in a $2 million round that was taken out in the end. But they are business savvy. So all their platform does is connect these amazing creatives on this side to those large market sales on the other side. And that is all they do. They just do that business piece brilliantly. They to a point that I've not seen anyone else, even in our portfolio, be able to tackle. But yeah, devastating. We missed out on that and we still follow them. And then we brought them in to do our new branding. So we get to work with them anyway, but it's still devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. What's like the most amazing thing you've learned from an entrepreneur? That's a good question, I think, because I learn stuff from every single founder that I meet. And this is because we all have our unique superpower and not all founders realize that. There is stuff that you do that is uniquely you and every single one of us is that. And there is a reason why you're here on this planet. And the quicker you can be self-aware and understand your unique superpowers as a founder, the quicker you can surround yourself with the right team the right advisors and build something really incredible. So I think probably my learning was those founders that are really, really self-aware that have come to me and said, we are really good at this. These are the team members I need to hire because this isn't my strength and my time is not best spent there. So on the flip side, what would you kind of recommend or have learned to accelerate becoming a great investor? You know what? We have to form opinions. And I think you do this daily. I do this daily. I have to opinion really, really quickly in maybe a sector I'm not that familiar with. And so the thing is, we probably just need to be reading and be aware of multiple sectors, right? And just be up to date with what is going on. And when I say, I love femtech, how many parts of femtech is there? And 
I need to have enough knowledge that the moment I see an opportunity or a founder, I, a founder comes across my desk, I can form that opinion really, really quickly because this is the make or break for that founder. This is how I view it. And this is the gravitas of what I do and how I, I lead my day is this is someone's livelihood. I can make or break someone's livelihood with my decisions right now. Do I have enough knowledge to be able to make a quick decision around this opportunity? And I think we owe it to these founders to have that base level knowledge, to have enough, you know, it's just knowing what's going on in sectors. If we say that we play in femtech, then I need to know enough in that sector to be able to make the really quick decision and do these founders the justice that they deserve. And so for our listeners, can you describe femtech? Yeah, I actually love femtech. And to give you some numbers and some stats, femtech is a sector, 70% growth in one year alone out of Singapore. That is how quickly the sector is growing. And typically, if you look at a lot of medical assessments and things that have gone on previously, they were done on men. They weren't done on women. So finally, the world has caught up realizing that women probably should be solving female problems. And there is a huge opportunity sitting there. So for me, femtech is the intersection of impact and returns. I love it. The sector is growing so much. Women as a consumer group are one of the largest consumer groups on the planet. And I think we are uniquely placed to solve female issues, if I can say it like that. Isn't it like 80% of discretionary funding decisions are made by women? Women, yeah. I think it's even higher, actually, in certain jurisdictions. But yeah, you're right. It's massive. I mean, that's it's huge why we love it too it's more trillion dollars this opportunity this consumer market that is women and I think the reason I love it is like I said it's an intersection of impact with returns if we look at Asia I just gave you the stats for Singapore but you go next door to Myanmar women can't even afford monthly products so it is really scattered and one of the best founders that has come across my desk was using AI within IVF the IVF sector in itself is huge. It is a huge sector. And so solving that with this layer of tech that hasn't been there before, I find that really interesting. Yeah, thank you. I think we equally do as well. And you said that's a complete, such a massively underserved market that has huge potential for innovation and, and absolutely impact. What is something that people will find out about you that will surprise them? I'm from Sydney, but the other thing is I'm a bit creative at heart. I actually get excited by the ideas. I had a dream to go and do interior design when I left school. I don't know how I ended up in finance, but I did. <laughs> I think you made this point earlier, right? And and there's a, there's a study, I think, in 2007 out of Harvard, 2017, sorry, that was done out of Harvard about neurodivergency. You touched on this earlier and it's almost overweight or attraction of these personalities to venture, to early stage investors or investors in general and to founders as well. So this sector certainly attracts people that, and I think neurodivergent people typically are really quite creative in their essence, right? Because I'm much the same. Like I wanted to be a fashion designer. I'm obsessed with that. I love makeup tutorials and hair. Like most people would be like, and I don't, you know, why am I doing fine? Like being in finance, my whole career, all the just like super male dominated sectors, like similar to yourself. But yeah, like tell us about it. So you wanted to be an interior designer and. I did. And then I had a, a migrant mother who said, absolutely no way. Absolutely. My Italian, my little Sicilian mother. No, 
But can I tell you, you touched on neurodivergency there. The most brilliant woman, this founder that I have ever come across my entire career, even my portfolio now, was a woman I was mentoring. She was neurodivergent and she would do, she actually challenged me so much as a mentor. Her hyper-focus, and this is what neurodivergent people seem to have, is this ability for hyper-focus. She would do in two hours what I would give normal founders to do in two weeks. It was insane. However, she couldn't read an email. The way we had to communicate was over Zoom because she could understand and take things in more than what she could actually read an email. And it, it challenged me in different ways around how do you work with different people? And she's still to this day the most brilliant founder I've ever come across. But it was this hyper focus, lack of fear, lack, complete lack of fear. If she had to get in somewhere and speak to someone, she was there. She was in their face no fear. So if we could bottle that and give that to every other founder around the world, that is just exceptional. Yeah, I need a bit of that. <laughs> yeah. But from myself, I was going to say I'm pretty average. I, there's nothing here that's like out of the ordinary apart from reading smutty fantasy novels that I, I love. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And, and then the creativity side, I am an ideas person. I'm one of those people that is constantly thinking of startups. So if I've got a problem, it's I've got this idea, I've got that idea or whatever. So maybe it does lead itself nicely into this space and what we're doing, but there's some uh, quirky personality types in our field is what I'll say. Yeah. You've talked about your mum a bit, but who is the person that you think you admire the most or has influenced you or, you know, the role models in your life? This has shifted multiple times. And I'm someone that feels like I have lived 90 lives by the time I'm right? Like I'm one of those people continually reinventing myself. At the moment, I'm really leaning into conscious leadership and trying to become, I feel like I'm, I am authentic in who I am. I am who I am, no matter who I'm speaking to. And that's something that I want to continue. But this knowing myself deeply at the moment is something I'm really, really wanting to know more about. But that this is going to sound corny, but the Jay Shetties of the world at the moment are my heroes. Simon Cynics of the world are still my heroes. This evolves and I think we don't need to have the one superhero or the one person that we look up to because we're constantly evolving and looking for different things in our life. And so it's okay to have various role models for various things. I think Marie Folio does an incredible job of breaking down business and startups, but she can annoy the hell out of me as well. So there's like, take the bits from people that you surround yourself with that resonate and leave the rest, I think, is what I can say there. Because there's parts of everyone that piss you off, but there's parts that... I love Jay Shetty, but sometimes I'm like, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, really? How does that work in real life? So I think, I think the point is just take the bits from these people that you see or the people that you surround yourself with that really resonate and you go, oh, my God, they do that really well, and leave the rest. I think that's all it is. I think that's what founders do, the best founders do really well is get broaden their horizon and, and meet with as many people as possible and have to network because, you know, if you want investors anyway, that's what, you, and irrespective, if you want clients, if you want talent, you've got to be kind of really out there and attracting that, but, and putting out that energy, but you really need to discern what parts of that you take on board or not. You have to, otherwise you wouldn't get anything done anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like those founders when I say every single person that you're pitch deck in front of is to have an opinion and ask you to change things it is discerning as a founder going thank you for that but I'm I'll walk away or you know what that was a good point I am maybe going to fix that or whatever but it is knowing 
that you can take parts and leave parts. You don't always have to keep updating because you've seen this. There's some founders that have just scattered, changing pitch decks all the time, changing business models to fit investors and so forth. So maybe it's just staying true to the why and your vision and being strong in that. It is okay. There is For every market, there is a seller and there is a buyer, right? This, this is the thing. There is people that are going to resonate with what you're doing and people that won't. You just need to be strong on your path and take the parts that work. The others, just leave it. Uh, you don't have to take on board everything people say. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. So do, what's your, what are a few of your two or three of your favorite podcasts or books or give us one of those smutty novels. That you- <laughs> oh my God. Sarah J. Mars, anyone out there? She's my superhero. Oh, I'm going to put them in the show. Let's put them, I'm going to get them off you and put them in the show notes because I think sometimes you do need to sort of delve into the fiction world and for me it promotes my creativity right yeah and just escape I know if I read for like 10 minutes before I sleep something crazy like I don't know it just helps me calm down a bit the other thing is I'm a reader rather than a podcast listener so I've got a bunch of books that, that I read do you know what recently though usually I put a tag in a book and put it away on my bookshelf I read this book the psychology of money recently Oh, yes, I've got that too. Wow. I found this fascinating. It is insane. Like I just, there's so much goodness in here. Put it in perspective, this was Peter Thiel's book, who should be a superhero in our world. There's just one, just one little tag. I think it's the whole psychology piece. And even what we are doing, there is such a huge psychology piece to everything that we're doing, whether it's our approach to money, our approach to investing, all these things. That plays a huge part. So maybe that's why I'm fascinated with it. I've just met an incredible founder from Boston who she set up the whole psychology arm for Harvard. I found her fascinating, but she's now creating a business from that side, which this comes back to that learned and, you know, that superpower that you have. She's got this lived experience and she brings that wealth of knowledge to this business, but there's something about it. Also Harvard Business Review for anyone out there. I think there's gold. There's nuggets in in all of their articles. What about, you talked about this earlier, and I think I definitely have this in terms of that, you know, ethnic background where you got taught to work hard from a very young age. (laughs) And you said you can outwork anyone. I think I'm in that boat as well. And it's to my detriment a lot of the time. But what are some productivity hacks? What are the best productivity hacks you have to sort of churn through your work and make sure you also say yes to those opportunities that come up. Yeah. Do you know the biggest thing for me was how to balance my schedule between meetings, email, and actually doing work. And so the first couple of months in this role, I was going round and round in circles, getting nowhere. And I was working till midnight, 1am because my whole day was taken up with meetings. And then I would have hundred emails, you know, I don't know what your inbox is like, but I get almost a hundred emails a day. It is insane. And that's probably the biggest disruptor to me is bloody emails. So I had to learn really quickly to work in blocks, blocks of time. And I had to stop the meetings as much as I love in person. I'm a people, people. I love it. I had to stop that. I had to stop and I had to be really strict with Zooms and really strict with just half an hour and really maxing that out. And I don't do Mondays. I keep Mondays free to set my week up. And I try to keep Fridays free of meetings as well so that I can kind of not be working over the weekend, although Fridays doesn't quite work. But working blocks is all I will say. And and be really protective of your time. That was the other thing. I had to start saying no. I had to 
to start really thinking about being protective of me time and is this going to add value? And I know that's so brutal to say, but you have to, you've got to really delineate. Is this someone I need to spend my time on? Does this bring me closer to my why, to my goal, to my whatever? No, it doesn't. Okay, we don't need to have an in-person meeting. And I love a coffee like the next person, but we need to stop. You've given so many incredible pieces of advice throughout this chat so far, but how would you kind of maybe summarize them for a entrepreneur that's seeking funding? What are like the one or two things that pieces of advice that you would give them? The big one that I talk about a lot that I don't really hear a lot of people in our sector talk about, and it's because I've come out of large market that one, not all money is equal. Two, your funding can come from a key partner that also brings your funding, your distribution, your clients and everything all in one. And I think as women, particularly in this climate, we can be much, much more savvy around where we're getting our funding and turning on. This is something that I did. I worked with a startup out of Israel. It was a pet wearable technology. We wanted to scale them into Asia. So what I did, instead of going to an actual investor or a fund, I went to one of my investors that happened to be the leading investor in the leading pet food company in China. It gave us the funding, the distribution and everything all in one, right? And it became one of these large market deals. So rather than them taking equity, we then set up a separate entity for Asia. So you didn't dilute your equity holding in this business. You just gained equity in another entity, right? So we need to start being savvier around how we're giving up equity, why we're giving it up. And that's probably a whole other topic for another day that we can unpack itself. But it is bringing that large market hat to startups. The other thing is don't skip steps at the start. We all just want to get going as founders and you just want to get going. But maybe you haven't analyzed your business well enough at the start. You haven't spoken to enough potential clients to understand is the problem that you're solving worth solving? And can you make money off of it? That is a big thing that I see because the other part that we see is people getting stuck at that one to $3 million mark. And you know why? It's because they can't cross the chasm. As a founder, you're going to have risk at different points in your business. One comes with, can you actually get early paying customers, early adopters? Two comes at that $3 million mark with, can you cross the, the chasm and become mainstream? So don't skip steps at the start build the foundations of the business properly, it will then allow you to cross that chasm with so much more ease than if there is gaps in that that fundamental business model to start with. So I guess that's two points. It's not all money is equal. Start thinking differently. Start wearing a large market hat. Two, don't skip steps and have those business fundamentals right. And three is you have to be all across everything in your business, whether you have dev, whether you have a CTO or whether you've got a, a CFO off outsourced or whatever, you have to be across it because you can't take advantage of opportunities if you're not across everything in your business. And things will show up like the founder in our portfolio where we turned up at a time where the CFO wasn't even around. He was the one that built the models for her. He did everything, but that would have been a no from us. She would have missed out on that opportunity. So know your business inside out, know your fundamentals. And that's kind of three really key points, I think. Yep. Great advice. Just a couple of quick questions now to finish off, but um, what are you really excited or optimistic about? I actually think there's a lot that we can do coming from India and seeing the excitement around startups and the startup ecosystem and the focus that all these 20 countries are putting on that 
Australia has a great opportunity for us to step up and actually be part of this. A trillion dollars per year going into this ecosystem, that is unheard of. That is phenomenal. And we had the Saudis get up on stage and pledge the first dollars into that as well. So there's only good things that are coming. There are problems that are worth solving all around the world. And I think the time is now for women. The time has come where there is so much focus. You actually can get access to funding now. There are funds like ours that have popped up that all we do is focus on women. And hopefully we do ourselves out of business that everyone just realizes the opportunity is there. As much as I don't want my vows to be uh, pushed higher, but that is the whole intention here, right? That is that we don't need to exist because eventually everyone will have an equal portfolio. And that's the goal. But the time is now. It is such good timing. And I know everyone's saying that recession is coming or we've had a bad time with the pandemic. The best innovations come out of this time because you have to operate lean. You have to be savvy about your business model and savvy about where you're spending your money. So it produces the best startups and the best ventures. We say that all the time. We hope to not exist or it's just diversity is the way that everyone invests from a gender point of view. And looking at other underserved people is again, like the next frontier of opportunity. So you know that our ambition at Scale is to be the best investor in and supporter of women and exactly what you said, where we no longer need to exist and it's no longer a topic and women is dropped from the front of founder or entrepreneur. It's just a founder and entrepreneur because it's, it's equally distributed. What advice do you have for us in achieving this goal, given the space that you're in and being a formidable woman investor in this space. <laughs> I learned so much from you guys. Here are my new advice. Do you know what I think? There's this other conversation that we can start having around how do we rethink investment? Because the other thing that you and I are tackling on the other side is this awful dilution piece that I think if we all come together and go, look, we've tackled the female funding side. Now we've got the other problem of dilution. How do we get women to start thinking differently? And I touched on this when I said partnerships, distributions, that large market thinking that maybe you don't need to take that funding from that angel investor that's giving you shitty terms or that accelerator. I have seen some contracts that are, I can't believe founders are signing them in the Melbourne market right now. People are signing them. I don't know why. I would never sign them. So if we can start getting founders to start rethinking this whole funding script, maybe that's the next step. It's just, do you even need the funding? Asking the question, why do you need funding? Where are you getting this funding from? And how do you rethink that? Could be the next frontier. Oh, I just think what you said before about bringing an institutional big money markets approach to the way that small business essentially is, is the space that we're in like how we can use those instruments and those vehicles in a much more productive way is yeah that's great advice thank you so much Tracy I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat today and I'm sure our audience will as well and we'll chuck all your suggestions and smutty novels in the in the show notes and obviously of course I know that you guys are relaunching your website soon and You've got some really incredible plans. So we'll chuck your handles in the show notes as well to make sure that people can follow your journey because we certainly will be. It's a pleasure to be working alongside people like you. So thank you so much for your time. I just thank the world for bringing you into my orbit is all I would say. You guys are incredible and I'm your biggest fan and supporter and I learn so much from you every single day. So keep doing what you're doing. We're here to support you. Thanks, Trey. We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did. As an investment venture firm founded by women, 
No one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like we do. We believe that education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both investors and founders. You can find them on our website. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing us at ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a minute.